I want to discuss and introduce this morning, beginning a study on the Gospel of Mark, and we'll go at that for a number of weeks, then probably go back to Genesis for a few weeks, and then back to Mark. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the acceptance that we have in Christ as we consider some thoughts as it relates to the Gospel of Mark and why even consider it that we would be open and sensitive to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we begin to consider the Gospel of Mark, I ask myself, why even teach Mark's Gospel? Without too much thinking, I came up with quite a few reasons, and then as I began to study Mark and did some more thinking, I came up with other reasons. Why study Mark? But before we respond to why study Mark, I want to share some thoughts on why even consider answering a why question. Why even consider answering a why question? Our kids are full of why questions. We tend to be full of why questions at times. Why even consider answering them? First of all, we are created in God's image. Thus we think, we reason, and we ask why. In Genesis chapter 1, we won't turn there, but in verse 26, God, Jesus in the Spirit of God, reasoned. Let us make man in our image, they thought, they reasoned. In Mark 2 and verse 10, Jesus responded to the teachers of the law. And he says, but that you may know, he was giving a reason. God also gives reasons in relating to humans. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, God said, you know, to Adam, you should need to the tree, <clears throat> knowledge of good and evil. And then he gives a reason. Because of the day when you eat of it, you will die. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 17, God is responding to Pharaoh and basically says, Pharaoh, you're as good as dead. And Pharaoh says, why? And God says, because you've taken another man's wife, namely Abraham's wife. In Exodus chapter 20, as we think about the Ten Commandments, God gives reasons for them. We find also that giving response to why questions develops faith and challenges us to think. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples couldn't heal an individual. And they said to Jesus, why couldn't we? And Jesus says, because this kind comes out by prayer and so on. Also, as we think about why respond to why questions, we are to relate to unbelievers. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, so that you may know how to answer. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, we find there that Peter says, Be ready to answer to unbelievers. Why? Why is part of daily living? The mechanic asks, why are you bringing your car to me? 
Wife asks her husband, do you love me? And if you say yes, they'll say why? Children ask, why must we go to school? It's so great to be out of school this week for four days and only in for one. The employees ask, why can't you give me a raise? A husband asks, why can't my wife understand me? A teen asks, why wait till marriage for sex? My question is, why discuss the book of Mark? just want to give you some reasons this morning. To see Jesus Christ, the ultimate final revelation of God among humans. Turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1 and verse 1. Why study Mark? To see Jesus Christ, the ultimate final revelation of God among humans. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're dealing with the gospel about Jesus Christ. Just to see Jesus. If you look, go to the end of the book of Mark, in verse 39, Jesus has just been crucified. The temple or the veil, or the curtain in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And in verse 39 it says, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Listen as I read from John chapter 1. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. To see Jesus Christ, the ultimate, final revelation of God among humans. You know, as we walk with God, we may get a distorted view of Christ, or we may not see him in his fullness. We'd like to see that as we get through Mark. Secondly, to know to experience Christ alone. Just to know and experience Jesus Christ alone. To see him in his riches, his fullness, the fullness of his character, to see him in his humanity, to see him as a person. Look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You're my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. To experience Jesus Christ. To walk with him while you're on the job. Walk with him while you're having that struggle with your mate. Walk with him while you're being tempted to cheat in school. To experience him day by day. Go over to chapter 2 of Mark and verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. 
And we'll comment on tax collectors as we go through Mark. But tax collectors were hated and despised. And what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi get up and followed him. And as you read on the text, we find that he went to Levi's house and he was having dinner with him. Experience Jesus having lunch with a tax collector who was hated by the rest of the world. So that we can experience having lunch at our expense with a county judge because we're seeking to walk with Christ. Another reason for considering, or why we should consider Mark, to experience the heartbeat of Jesus Christ for relationships. He is the truth. He shares knowledge, but also to experience the heartbeat of Jesus Christ for relationships. Not duty, not doing, not traditions, not forms, but relationships. Look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Notice, he appointed 12 to be with him. As we go through Mark, you will find that what Jesus did in day-by-day living, when they're sleeping, when they're getting up, when they're walking along the way, when they're fishing and so on, Jesus and the 12 are with him. The relational aspect of being with Christ. Another reason to confront the baggage we tend to carry concerning Jesus. I don't know about you, but we tend to pick up baggage along the way. We may develop misconceptions about Jesus Christ. And you will find that Jesus Christ really shook up the religious establishment. Look at Mark chapter 7. No, we tend to think of Jesus as being a meek, a mild man. He was meek. He was mild, and we think people like that don't confront. But in the context of Mark chapter 7, we find that he's addressing the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says in verse 5, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now he's talking to religious people. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Now here is the meek, the mild, the gentle, the humble son of God saying to religious leaders, you're hypocrites. And I don't think he said it in this way. 
you're hypocrites. If you look at the flow of the context and you see what has taken place before in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, he's talking to them. Isaiah was right when he said about you, hypocrites. Yes, he was humble, he was meek, he was mild, but he confronted. He drove the money changers out of the temple. And he was being spiritual in doing that. Sometimes we tend to think Christ was emotionless. Look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. In the context, Jesus has explained that, you know, he's new wine. He's the new wineskins. And he wanted to heal. You know, he asked the question, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath day? And, you know, the religious leaders wouldn't respond. In verse 5 it says, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubbornness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. He looked around in anger, deeply distressed. I don't know what his anger looked like or how it came out, but he was angry. Well, you say anger is sin. Well, if it's sin, Jesus had it. So it must not be sin to be angry in some circumstances. Go over to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. This is Jesus clearing the temple. We'll Big pick up with reading in verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the money changers, or the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Can you see Jesus coming into the temple area and he flips over the table? You know, maybe we have a hard time understanding him sometimes. Let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. We may tend to think also, or we may be tempted to think that Jesus just accepts everyone. And he's speaking to the rich man who came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus let him go. He didn't run after him. He didn't say, hey, oh, 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 hold it. You got some money here that could really help my cause. He let him go. He gave him the requirements and then left him go. And sometimes we think Jesus also is superhuman, that he really wasn't a human. We won't turn to Mark 4, 38, but there we find Jesus sleeping. Apparently so weary in the midst of a storm that he is sleeping. 
Why consider the Gospel of Mark? To experience Jesus Christ in relationships. To experience Jesus Christ in relationships with his followers. You know, Jesus did not get on the uh, airline and go to the next destination. They walked. And as you read the text of Mark, you read the other Gospels, you'll find that as they walked, he and his disciples talked. They interacted. There are times he had to confront them and say, now listen, guys. The first is going to be last, and the last is going to be first. If you really want to serve God, then you need to be a servant. He just interacted with his followers and they observed him in the temple, throwing over, turning over the money changers' temples. They observed his deep distress when he looked around at the religious leaders. They also observed him interacting with sinners in chapter 2. We mentioned before in verse Mark 2, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Disciples observed him eating with sinners, having a relationship with sinners. So uh, you see Ruth Ann tomorrow. You see her downtown Wilkesbury. You see her out in the street. You say, I wonder what Ruth Ann's doing there. And you see her with some ladies. And then you think, my, oh, she's with those ladies. They're prostitutes. And then you see her go into a place of business with those prostitutes. You say, boy, I'm going to go back and tell Pastor Dan about that. And you tell me, and I say, yeah, she's just spending some time with sinners. Trying to reach them for the cause of Christ. See, Jesus kind of blew the religious establishment away. Because he's spending time with sinners. And what is their response? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's Jesus' response? I came to call the sick, not the righteous. You think you're righteous. I didn't come to call you. I came to call the sick. That's why I'm with tax collectors and sinners. That kind of blows us away. Also, to experience Jesus in relationship with religious leaders. Chapter 2, we won't read any verses. But the religious leaders are thinking that Jesus is blaspheming because who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus graciously, firmly responds to them, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority in the earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. You know, Jesus responded to religious leaders. To see how he did that. He didn't just sit back and say, oh, religious leaders. No, he said, you're old wineskins. 
I'm new wine skin. I'm new wine. Also, just to let Jesus challenge religious forms and their emptiness. Jesus repeatedly is challenging in the gospel mark religious forms. We tend to develop them today. Give you some examples. Traditions. The longer we're saved, the more traditions we tend to establish. The longer the church has been around, the more traditions we tend to establish. I'll list some traditions. Sunday school, evening worship service, Sunday school opening, Wednesday evening, teen ministry. All of them are traditions. None of them are required in Scripture. I'm not saying they're wrong. They're just traditions. Well, what's wrong with that church? They don't have a Sunday school. Well, maybe nothing. Oh, they don't have a teen ministry. Maybe nothing. Another tradition, traditional worship. Hymn books, piano, organ. That's a tradition. The early church did not have an organ or a piano or hymn books. It's not that they're wrong, but could we worship without them? Or is it a tradition? Again, everyone has some type of tradition, but it doesn't mean you have to have them. To be very honest with you, when we were in Africa the one time, we went to a church, quote unquote, a fundamental church, and there was another church not too far away that chose to worship in a different way. You know, they had their drums out, pounding away in their drums and so on. I, I thought to myself, I don't know about them. And then I had to step back and say, whoa, I'm not in the American culture, I'm in the African culture. What does worship look like in an African culture using African things? To bring in a piano, to bring in an organ is not the way to do it because it's not African culture. Now they may have a different tradition, but don't get caught up with that. On the other hand, we can go with contemporary worship. Oh, we've got to have contemporary worship if we're going to reach people today. And it can become a tradition. We can't do it without. Or we may have a certain form of seating. You know, that can become a tradition. We can have pews. Oh, no, we want chairs and someone has chairs. Well, why not sit on the floor? Let's start a new tradition. I'm not knocking chairs and I'm not knocking pews. I'm just saying we can become a tradition. We have to have them. When we have to have them, they become a tradition. Jesus confronted the religious people because they had traditions that took priority over God. Divorce among believers. They were assuming that divorce was among believers and was okay. And if we're not careful, I'm talking those who are believers. Divorce, and we can say, well, that's just okay. We can develop a tradition concerning music style. You can turn on Christian radio and you will find different types of music styles. Some of them are, excuse my voice, 
Amazing grace, you think, is it going to ever get off of that slowness? And then you can turn on a nurse. <laughs> Not really. And we get into a tradition. It's got to be this way. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus, again, confronted traditions. How about the attitude of, I just don't like change? We've always done it this way. We don't want to ever do it different. The religious leader saying, Jesus, we've always done it this way. We don't do it anyway. And Jesus says, well, I'm here. I'm new wine. I'm in new wineskins. And I'm confronting you and telling you it's going to be different. How about sanctuary being sacred space? That can be a tradition. Is a sanctuary sacred space? No. Not in light of scripture. The body is sacred. And Jesus, you know, confronted the religious leaders quite often. So is this space in here sacred? In and of itself, no. The nature of it may change if we're in here because we're the body of Christ and we're God's temple. But the space itself is not sacred. How about just do's and don'ts to measure, measure spirituality? No, we develop a series of do's and don'ts. Now, a good Christian gives at least 10% of his or her income to the Lord. A good Christian reads his Bible every day at 5 o'clock in the morning. A good Christian prays every morning at 6 o'clock. And a good Christian always listens to this type of Christian music. And we can develop a bunch of rituals that determine and say who's spiritual and who isn't. And I'm not knocking prayer. I'm not knocking giving money. I'm not knocking reading the Bible. Those things are good. But Jesus seems to knock this do and don't mindset as you study the Gospel of Mark. Just to let Jesus challenge us. about forms, traditions that we may develop in how we live and how we respond. Now close with an illustration. Ruth Ann and I attended Tennessee Temple University. And Tennessee Temple University at that time was quite strict. Guys could not wear shorts, girls could not wear shorts, had to wear dresses, couldn't wear slacks. Guys had to have their hair cut, you know, a certain way. I got around that one time. But, you know, you had a hair check, you go out of chapel, and there was guys standing there, you know, checking the guys, is the hair too long in the front, too long in the back? And another day they would check skirts, is the skirt long enough, and so on. And there was a temple student one time that was walking by and saw a lady up on a ladder in a pair of slacks. And the lady heard the student say, she must not be very spiritual because she has slacks on. Well, I think that's probably appropriate dress to be up on a ladder, don't you? So the last day after we graduated, the next day, one of my friends, Dennis, came over and I heard a knock on the door and I went to the door and I opened the door And as soon as I opened the door, he said, I'm free! I'm free! And had a pair of shorts on. (laughs) 
Now, with that background, I moved to Hunlock Creek. Ruth and I moved to Hunlock Creek. And we weren't here but a few days, and they were going to go to the circus. So the church was taking some people to the circus. Going to the circus? And then we came to church the first week, and some people had slacks on. Slacks to church? And then there's some people who had long hair. Guys now, you know, longer hair. And I... You know, God challenged us about our traditions. It's about Jesus. And Jesus is challenging people. And as we study Mark, we're probably going to feel uncomfortable sometimes because we're meeting Jesus. And we'll have to conclude, it's not about this, it's not about that. I didn't know Jesus was like that. Well, he was. And as we experience him as a person and experience him at the cross, we'll allow God to transform us. We're going to be reading from Hosea chapter 9 in just a moment. And as we think about reading Scripture, there's a reason why we read Scripture. And it so happens at this point in time, we're reading through various books of the Bible. But one of the reasons we're reading Scripture without comment is because in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, you don't need to look this up. Paul said to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Apparently there's value in just reading Scripture. And then after Scripture, someone will be coming to introduce the offering. Why do we even take an offering? That's a tradition, by the way. Taking an offering is a tradition. They didn't do that in the early church. And they don't do it in some churches. Why do we even have that tradition? Because it's a reminder that we're stewards, we're not owners. And it's a form of giving. Maybe some Sunday we'll have the offering, do like they do in the DR, have everyone who has offering come to the front while the rest of us stand and sing, you know. There's different ways to do it. But there's reasons why we do what we do. Jeff? Jeff?